This episode is supported by Deliver.ca. Deliver.ca is the only service in Regina that lets you order your liquor, grocery, and takeout online. And guess what? It's delivered to you in as little as 45 minutes. Get in-store prices as well as the freedom to order from any store of your choice. You can download the Deliver app on your smartphone. That's D-E-L-I-V-E-R-R. Don't forget the second R. And order now. And here's a Talking 306 podcast special. Use the code DALE until June 30th and get your first order from Deliver free of charge. That's code DALE on the Deliver app. That's D-E-L-I-V-E-R-R. Welcome to the Talking 306 Podcast, an original Saskatchewan podcast hosted by me, Dale Richardson. On this episode of the podcast, my guest is Justin Revis. Justin Revis is a digital creator based in Regina and is known as a vlogger and for his work on the Justin and Greg Show. I sat down recently with Justin to talk about his story, including his family and early life in Regina his series of early jobs, including his first job at McDonald's, what sparks his creativity and his passion for shooting videos, his unexpected interest in being an entrepreneur, and mental health and social media. Of course, we also talk about the surprising news that the Justin and Greg show, where he stars with his friend and business partner, Greg Moore, will be going on hiatus. My name is Dale Richardson, and I'm the host of the Talking 306 podcast. And this is my conversation with Justin Revis. People are sending an email to the person later on saying, uh, I, I, yeah. "I lost, I it, lost the footage." It or wasn't I lost. an option. So yeah, yeah. yeah. What, uh, what? Are you guys basically done the podcast now? Like, like we'll talk about all the Justin Greg stuff, but are is I, that? I is think that, it, it would just pretty much it won't be shelf? consistent. Yeah. And I think that's what we're we're kind of in, I would say, a detox stage right now where we're actually not sure what it looks like. It's just right. nice right now to breathe. What was what was the hardest part about doing the podcast? I would think that for, for like for your format, for what you guys do, it's trying to just find fun things to talk about and then mash it all together. The only thing that's hard about the podcast is Greg likes to edit podcasts to be really nice. Oh. And so it takes him like two or three or four hours to, to do the between just like editing the podcast because he's going back through and he inserts these funny little sound bits and he does like oh, yeah. all this stuff and then yeah and then just like titles descriptions and then typically we're creating some kind of visual clip off of that yeah you know that's yeah. like a little snippet and then you're creating instagram versions and twitter versions and yeah. you know all that stuff yeah i was i was doing that in the fall with my episodes and then you just sort of run out of time and it, yeah. it gets kind of pushed down and I'd love to still do that, but, but I don't. So yeah. if you had like a, an assistant, like if, if all the podcast was, which is why we love being on the radio is we show up, somebody else is there. They say, go, you go. And when yeah. you're done, you walk away and everything else is done for you. So that's awesome. So you guys are, you're going to do the Gormley stuff. Yeah, Still? I think we'll continue. Yeah, okay, continue on. I don't know if that's cool. Might change a little bit or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. it depends what we end up doing. Mm. Kind of like during the week, but yeah. So um, I I know you a little bit, mm -hmm. not great, and I wonder if anyone really does know you that great. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, okay, so are you, are you from Regina? I'm born and raised in Regina. So you you spent all of your time here, eh? Yeah, ever since day one, I've lived in Regina. You got to travel and you got to get out a little bit from yeah. here. But, you know, the more I think about Regina, the more I think we actually have something here that the rest of the world needs, which is the way that we do relationships and we stay small and the humility in the community of the ability to know somebody who knows everybody else in the city and to be able to say, hey, can you get me a meeting with CEO of X company? Provided you have like a reasonable reason for doing it. Yeah. There's a good chance you're going to get that meeting. That's and true. And that when they get there, they're not going to go, you have 60 seconds, go. And then they're gone. Right. 
there's something special about that and the way that we treat each other that I think more of the world needs. Have you guys, uh, meaning you and Greg in your in your most recent work, have, have you guys worked with clients or, or with companies that are not from Regina and you can you can like see the difference between, like let's say that some company in Toronto sure. that, that's that's headquartered in Toronto, you know, you meet with them and it's just like a totally different I remember it was the totally first time when we were dealing with a certain company in Vegas where we had to have a half hour pre-meeting before the other meeting for the team to prep us for talking to the chief marketing officer. And I've never before had like a pre-meeting yeah. to make sure you're prepared for the big meeting. It's like meeting the president or something. Yeah, right? that's what it felt like a little bit. Where is, you meet with the staff and then and, they, they get you ready. And I guess in a really big company where, you know, those guys, tons of meetings and their time is so valuable or important. I guess I get it, but you know, was yeah. it a hundred percent necessary? No, I don't think so in the end, but they also didn't know us that well or know our backgrounds or where we were coming from. And I think that's different than what happens here is when it's a referral, when I say, Hey, so-and-so you should talk to so-and-so they're great. They're going to talk to you about this. Yeah. You're a little bit more prepared than a random meeting. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, tell me, tell me a bit about, uh, your, your family, what do your parents do? Or what, what did they do when you were, they maybe My retired? dad has worked at Sastel since 1983. Yeah. And he is still there. And my mom just stayed home with us. He's, so, so, your, just, so your dad was part of the, I think I talked with... I, I may have talked with many of my guests about this, but he, he's part of the same generation as my parents, of course, in that most of our parents stayed with the same company for 30, 40 years. And now you and I, like, can you imagine ever? No, never. Yeah. But yeah, he, he graduated from STI in 1982 or 83, which became SIAS and now is Polytech. Right. And right. He, he got a job at SASTEL when he was like 20. Yeah. Somewhere around there, maybe 21, 22. And then did he did he work his way up doing like various different things or just kind of the same? He's kind of, he still what? has this funny title of a trunking and switching technician, which oh, comes yeah. from way back when, like phone lines and stuff. But he works on basically the big routers in the province that provide internet everywhere. But he's never really, you know, he, he never did the management thing. He never, but what's crazy about his life now is he works three, 12 and a half a week. Half of them are night shifts. He right. works, and plus he's been there long enough. He gets six weeks of holidays. Like he calculated it out once and he said he works like 120 days a year. And, and that is, <laughs> so people are like, when's your dad going to retire? I'm like, he kind of, he's, he's, he's already he's like semi retired. He's been semi retired yeah, for several for, years. For, for a long time. And uh, it, it works really well for him. And so, you know, I've gone on a slightly different path, but I certainly am grateful for yeah. crown corporations that have, you know, in many ways funded my upbringing in my life. Right. And then, and then your mom, uh, she, she was a mom. Yeah. She was, she, was, she, was, uh, she, yeah. she stayed at home with us. And yeah. I mean, she had things that she did, yeah. you know, in amongst there and, you know, did daycare for a little while and has had kind of, you know, different, not, not even hobbies, but little passion projects and different things. But no, she was, she was home with us and, yeah. You know, because my dad working at Sastel, that kind of gave us the option. Now, we didn't have tons and tons growing up. We'd eat out at Fuddruckers when we were young because it was mm. the parents would buy a meal and the kids ate free and we didn't eat out. The old Fuddruckers on, on Albert. That's yeah, now the way Smitty's. Smitty's yeah. Still looks like Fuddruckers. Yes, yeah, way back in the day. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we would we'd go camping in the summers and we never did anything too crazy. But it was it felt like a, a good Saskatchewan upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so... One one thing that I think that I'm guessing about you is that when you were in in school, more so in high school, you may have been interested in the performance arts, theater. Maybe you might have been into that. Am I way off? Um, no, you're not. You're not way off. I did some drama in high school. Yeah, a little bit. People yeah. don't know. I was a very good basketball player. Um, you know, for my age, one of the one of the best in the city. Oh, um, where did you go to high school? I went to Harvest City, which was a tiny little one A high school. But we had to play the bigger four A schools. Where is is that in Virginia? behind Northgate Mall? 
You know? oh, okay. And it was very like when I graduated, our graduating class was four people. So, I, so what is Harvest City? Well, it's a K to twelve. It's associated with Regina Public, but it's kind of a private Christian school. Okay. okay but okay. Um, I was also I was homeschooled for six years, which Greg loves to make fun of me for. But the thing I appreciate so much about being homeschooled was it was all self-taught learning. Like they would, you'd get your textbook and you would read it and you would teach yourself. And right. to this day, I can teach myself almost anything because we have the internet you know i don't yeah. need somebody it's just like self-taught and then yeah went to high school there did you know did a little bit of drama you know in school and you know as a part of youth group and you know a, a little bit of stuff like that but i i didn't actually foster that performance stuff for years and years like once i was kind of done high school right and out i i went and worked jobs and worked in tech companies worked in agencies worked in marketing so there's always kind of that creative side there but it wasn't really until probably about four years ago when was it four or three i don't remember when i started the the vlog the video blog and I'd kind of ventured out on my own and just wanted to practice what I preach and saw this guy named Casey Neistat who was vlogging and looked like he was having fun and I bought a boosted board and I was like I was sitting there one day reading this book by Gary Vaynerchuk Gary yep, V yep. as people yep. may or may not know and I'd seen him in 2012 and then this was probably like 2016 and his new Ask Gary V book had come out and he just talked about how everybody always says they're going to do something oh one day I'm going to do this one day I'm going to do that mm-hmm. and nobody ever does and he has this very colorful language around this idea of forget I'm gonna um, he has a different F word for that but I was sitting there and I was like oh this is this is me right now like what am I gonna do I, I need to do something and so I picked up a camera and made my first vlog and it was beyond horrible but it led to vlog number two and eventually I think I did like 170 yeah. Yeah. vlogs in six or seven months and that kind of launched me back into I don't know somehow finding a little bit of personality on camera so you you jumped ahead a lot there, but let me let me sure. let me just quickly ask. Okay, take take me back to the to the homeschooling thing. Yep, I talked to um, Darla Lindbergh, the chair or uh, CEO of the Saskatoon Chamber of Commerce. Okay, she homeschools her kids. Okay, and I was really interested in that because uh, growing up, just because I I went to school, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I know anyone who was homeschooled that I know now. Right. Um, but obviously, so my main question to her when I talked to her was, you know, people think that if you are homeschooled, you miss out on friendships with the kids and sure. like in your school and, you know, joking around and do, doing all that stuff. So any, so like what, what years in school were you homeschooled? I was homeschooled from grades one through, well, I mean, it was okay. six years, but I did okay. grade, I did seven, I did grade one and two in the first, in grade one year. Um, yeah. Because you could move quickly. And so yeah. basically, I, I went back to school when I was probably like 12 or 13. But I was a very social kid. We had set up these things. It was called like Friday school where all the homeschoolers would get together and would do different classes and activities and stuff together. And you can still have friends in the neighborhood. And, you know, I think... What can be interesting is the reasons that people decide to homeschool have a big impact on the kids that come out of homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And so if you are homeschooling your kids because you're trying to protect them from the big bad world, Mm. I don't know that that typically ends well. So so what were your parents' reasons then? I think my parents... I think my mom just like wanted to have us around more. Like, I don't think we got those kind of vibes from it. It was just, you know, she, she wanted to have us around. And I think there was this, Hey, we can teach well. And the part I loved about homeschooling was I'd start working at nine 30 AM and be done my day's work by noon. And we'd usually finish second week in April, be done a year's worth of work. And, and it kind of taught a different lesson, which is school now is you show up to school at, 8.30, 8.30, and you're going to be there till 3.30. Doesn't matter what happens. And it kind of sets you up for a little bit of the mentality that carries over into being at a job 9 to 5. It's not about how much work you get done. It's about being there. That That is one thing, as I'm sure that, that you have um, found in a, the last number of months since, since I've been working on my own, it, or not in a regular sure. government job, what I, like what I used to do, is, is how much... Uh, time is spent actually not working. Yeah. You're just putting in time. And as soon as I started working on my own and I would, I would wake up in the morning and I'd start working at, you know, eight thirty or nine, and then I'd finish all the stuff that I had to be done for clients by, by noon. 
Yep. You know, like I, and then I went, well, what else do I have to do here? Oh, and the problem with that is yeah. if you charge by the hour. Yeah, it sucks. It, it, it's actually, it's weird that we live in a world that everything is based on hours. How much money do you make an hour? You know, oh, I got a raise from, I remember McDonald's, you get 40 cents an hour. And it's kind of this idea of, you know, that work is about how many hours you spend. And it's actually so backwards and yeah. broken, but we don't have a good way to figure out, to go, well, how come so-and-so only has to work here four hours a day and I have to work here eight hours a day? Because you're slower than they are. Right. And they, or they're doing more in their time. I remember when I went back to school, because I think working quickly is a skill and it's something that you develop yeah. over yeah. over time and motivations. Sure. And so I, we would do an entire year's worth of school in probably a quarter of the time somebody else. Like we're talking two and a half hours a day to get all of our work done and we would be done two months before everybody else. I went back to school yeah. and people would be spending the entire day getting their work done and I was usually done in an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. Our school was different. It wasn't classes. So that's a different thing. It's a work at your own pace. You would set your goals for the day. Hey, I'm going to do three pages in English and four pages in history and you had to do like 24 pages a day and it would work out at the end of the year, you'd be done a year's worth of work. So I would go, here's my goal. I usually set some extra and I'd be done at 11 a.m. every morning because you just do the work. But if you're used to going, well, I'm going to be here all day, then, and also different kinds of learners, not everybody can learn that style. And I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. Just for me, I was able to take advantage of that system. And so now it's actually weird where you go, Sometimes I feel like in an hour, I can do three or four hours worth of work that somebody else would do. And now I'm getting paid a quarter of the amount that they are. They'll get paid four times as much yeah. to take four times as long. But that's just kind of the way that a lot of our world is set up to work now. Well, I, and I think as well that, that people like like our generation, you know, millennials and, and, and below for sure, were certainly compared to our parents and you know the, nothing against them of yep. course but we're just we're just more nimble in terms of just just doing things like right. what you just said we just we were okay with working quickly and with the expectation that I'll be done sooner and then we can go on to the next thing because right. you, you know we just do that so it's funny an industry that actually works in is in the automotive world for mechanics when you go in to get your car fixed and brakes let's say brakes are there's a book that says this is how long a brake job should take, so you're going to pay for four hours. Yeah. If the mechanic can do it in two hours, he gets to keep extra money and keep going. Right. And I actually wish there was like more things where I think if more workplaces could go, you need to get this much work done, like not put in this much time, but actually there's some kind of mathematical equation where work equals like... I don't remember if it's exact this, but force times distance. Meaning, mm -hmm. in order to accomplish work, you have to take something and you have to move it along. If you push on a thousand pound rock for eight hours and exert a ton of energy and it doesn't move, it's actually no work. You've done no work. So it's not about how much effort you put into something. It's what's the output. And that's why they say work smarter, not harder. Like yeah. you can work so hard and push and put all this energy in. But at the end of the day, if you don't move the needle, it doesn't matter. And I think who knows if through AI and through some other things, more workplaces start structuring themselves in a way to go, hey, we can measure how much work you did by the end of the day and we'll reward you based off that. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. And for some people, they go, cool, I want to work three hours a day. And yeah. you go, okay, I'm, well, I'm you're providing enough value. We actually have the math all the way through to go, hey, today you put in this much work and you created this much value so you get paid this much and somebody goes, cool, that's what yeah, I want. Yeah. And other people can go, hey, I'm going to work a lot more. And it would actually, I think, push... But, other, but some people would totally lose their mind about it. Some people would. Yeah. I think what we need more of in this world, though, is people finding out the things that they're eights, nines, and tens at and, and stop spending so much time at things they're one, twos, or threes at. Because I think there's a lot of people who get in a job and they're not really very good at the job, but they just do it because it's a job and they get paid to do the job. Yeah. And there's not this push for everybody to go, what is the thing that I am absolutely best at and how do I spend all my time doing that? Because yeah. most places don't measure that way. So, uh, so... Where between um, going to Harvest City School? Yeah. Um, and so, did you go to university? No. Okay. So, where between there and when you started doing doing your vlog, where did the cultivation of the you know your your really creative sure uh, thing come from? Do you think? 
I have this like wild career journey that involved. I okay, at, tell, me, tell me about it. I please. worked at McDonald's when I was sixteen. Started yeah. duty McDonald's, busiest McDonald's in the province at the time. And we had oh a, yeah on the corner yeah. of Albert and Duny. Yeah. Fascinating team because it was people from all different walks of life, backgrounds came together, and we had fun and we worked hard. And because I think we all bought in this idea, we're the busiest McDonald's, we have to be the best, and it was crazy. And and we did that. But next yeah. door, I've always been into tech and gadgets. My dad, working for Sastel, was part of the team that trialed the first ever in-home modems at oh. home. So we had internet from like day one. And so right. always been into tech stuff. And there was a Visions Electronics next door. I was like, I want to work there and sell it's, is cool it electronics. Still no, it's gone now. But oh, at the okay. time, it was right next door. And yeah. I'd worked my way up to the lowest level manager. And one day, the the general manager from that Visions walked in and said, hey, we're doing inventory. I need to buy like 50 cheeseburgers. Will you give me a deal? And me, not really understanding ethics at that point, said, I'll give you a deal on cheeseburgers if you give me an interview. <laughs> and so he gave me an interview and I got hired and I was doing a little bit of sales there. And then were you fired for the cheaper hamburgers? I was not. Okay. You know, I think at Turned the end of the day, great. they still... Maybe it was actually... I keep saying it's an ethics violation. I think it's also if I own the business and somebody came in and said, I want 50 of something. Cool. You're buying in bulk. I'll give you a deal. Yeah. I'll give you 20 or 30. I think, or, I think plus, what I did was I gave them free fries, which don't cost anything anyways. Yeah. Plus, I, I think McDonald's is doing okay. Yeah. They, they'll be fine. They'll recover yeah. from that uh, incident. But I was doing sales and, there. And then a friend worked at... It was like a tech kind of startup company. In the early days, they were doing content management systems. What was, for, that? What was that place called? It's called ADX Studio. Okay. This company here in Regina, which incidentally later sold to Microsoft, which is kind of cool. Really? But yeah. Oh, okay. In the early days, they they were websites were really hard to update. You had to know how to code, and they were building systems that now is like WordPress, Squarespace, every yeah, site yeah. where it's easy to do. But that was very early on in the day, and then they got into um, CRM systems like customer databases, yep. did all that. And so I went from sales to managing customer support to one day they were like, do you want to do IT? I didn't know anything about IT, but I'm like, I can teach myself. Sure, let's go. We got Google. And that was like for a couple of years, how I solved every problem was you just Googled it. Somebody else had the same problem yeah. and you'd figure it out. So I did that and then got into kind of consulting there over the course of four years. And then one day I got a call from Brown Communications Group, which is the ad agency here. Yeah. And okay, so you went to Brown. Yeah, I went to Brown because we would collaborate on some projects and Derek Leverington it called me one day and said, hey, you're too cool too cool to work at a tech shop. Come work in the ad world. It's fun and it's wild. Right. It's crazy. And right. so I did. So what did you do there? Uh, we start off in the... Account in, manager? Or? No, it was interactive. We had this whole department that was dedicated to like the tech digital world. Yeah. Whether, you know, building websites or applications online and yeah. kind of figuring out the whole creative side and so what, solving challenges. what year was that? Ooh, uh, that was probably around 20, uh, 2010, 2011. Okay. Yeah. So not like crazy long ago, but social was really just starting to gain traction at that time. Yeah. And so there were like early things like the Saskatchewan was something that we came up with, you know, of this. Yeah, well, and it's still going. It's and still going all these yeah, years yeah, later. And, and it seems to be growing every year, too. And so. that's funny because I remember specking out camera equipment, having no idea what I was doing. Now I would be very, very well versed in that. But at the time, trying to figure out what does a content creator need to make photo and video, yeah. you know, and, and figuring out stuff along those lines and, yeah, digital. And so, you know, kind of got baptized in that world. And again, just figured out I didn't know anything. I wasn't educated in marketing, but you know, figured it out and learned. And then one day I got a call from a friend who they owned a group of automotive dealerships and they wanted to build a marketing department inside the dealership because they were using an agency on the outside, but they wanted right. to move more quickly and have yep. more capacity. Yep. And so they said, would you come here and build a marketing department, which I said yes to, which is funny now looking back and going, I had no idea what I was doing. Fortunately, they were fantastic. And my goal was to never set foot on a dealership lot. I had these ideas that every car dealer was crooked. and But Trevor Boquist, Driving Change Automotive Group, he's uh, un unbelievable. And the coaching I got, they could have fired me many, many times just because I didn't know what I was doing. Instead, they just coached me through the process. And we built, I think, a six or seven person marketing team there. And, and it was it was awesome. And then I got a call to go back and become a partner in that agency. And so... Which to, one? To go back to Brown. Oh, yeah. And right. to kind of lead the whole digital tech side. And they said, hey, we... Like I can't, we can't actually let you stay here. You need to take that opportunity and go do that. Um, and so that was my plan. I went back there. I had money for the buy-in. I was going to do it. But I, I got back there, and it was like a, a switch clicked when I was there. And I went, I 
I just want to move fast. Like I mm-hmm. move very, very quickly. And in that world, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it wasn't moving as fast as I wanted. And I realized I was kind of, I was getting super stressed out because I wanted to do all these things and make all these changes. And it just wasn't, just wasn't in the was, cards. Is Was part of that struggle because um, you were ultimately working for clients yep. who at the end of the day have the final say on whether or not something goes or something doesn't. I think a mixture of that and plus most of the big clients were government either yeah they were yeah, government Brown's, agencies Brown, or Brown's the agency or Crown, for a lot of you know yeah. for big government clients but I think even even internally is for me, I was like, let's reinvent the agency. And, you know, that's tough to do. Obviously, I understand when you have those kind of clients and things. And I was like, and I just came to the point where I was like, I just want to do my own thing yeah, because yeah. as you know, it was going to take years and no fault of anyone. It's just like, that's the way that it works when you've got big government clients and you're an agency that serves that. And you can't just throw everything out the window and redo it as much as my, I think, 27 year old self would have loved, you know, the idea of that. So yeah, I remember I was reading a book on the weekend, Getting Naked by Patrick Lencioni, and he really nailed the approach where he has a consulting company. It's it's not um, nearly as exciting as the title sounds. It's really about <laughs> this idea of being a consultant where there's no smoke and mirrors. You're 100% honest. You don't pretend to know anything that you you know, don't know. And you just try and give as much value as you possibly can. And it was this book, a friend recommended me. I read it on Sunday. I went, that's what I want to do. And so Monday I resigned and I had the money for the buy-in that was going to float me for a couple of months. And I just started on my own. So most, most people, uh, and, and I think it is changing, but most people when they're 27 or 28, like when you were at the time, I guess, um, if they were going to be a partner in a you know, f- business that does fairly well, I think, and like most people would look at that and, and say, "This is safe. Like this is a safe spot for sure. me. I if I go here, I can be locked in. Um, you know, I can I can participate in in profit sharing for the company, yep. and you know, I'm I'm part of this. The you know, I get a chunk of it. Uh, but you obviously, <laughs> you, you it's want, it's funny that I didn't, didn't want to do it. I didn't. I didn't even really recognize then what I know now, which is Uh there is no amount of money that is worth being miserable. And I don't put that that being miserable on Brown or on the clients or on... It just wasn't the right fit for me. There's somebody else who can come in there and do that. But I realized, knowing what I know now, that I had to find my own space and to find doing things that really made me come alive and yeah. that I really loved and I enjoyed. And I didn't actually even really realize at that time how entrepreneurial I am. Right. But I'd gone through all these jobs. I grew up, my dad worked for Sastel his whole life. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, but there was always this thing inside of me where it would, I'd get so frustrated to go, I don't want one review a year to find out if I'm doing well or not. I want you to tell me every day, did I win or lose today? Yeah. And that's like very, and I want to build something, but I don't want to build your thing. I want to build my thing. Like, how am I benefiting off of what I'm doing for you? Which sounds very selfish and millennial, but to me, it it was just that entrepreneurial nature to go, what's in it for me if I do this, you know? And and so being, jumping out and going on my own was the best. And I I know there's people who, like, I love change and I love taking risks. And so the idea of, I think other people go, sorry, you quit the best paying job I ever had with, you know, with money for buying and long-term options at at some place that was well-received expected to go do what i didn't know i just knew i couldn't do that yeah people people have have said that to me too they they said when i when i left government they said boy you're so brave right but i was just at a point where i i i had to go and do yeah something on my own and and, and like you know you. I, to do the yeah. podcast and you know whatever else because there was just something in me that yeah i had to you do just, it you 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 have to do it and you got to yeah. take the leap and there are other people who won't take the leap until they know what the next thing is yeah uh, which yeah so, which is probably smart so you just jumped blind. i just jumped yeah but see, i knew i'd I, be okay and again this is now at that point i'm i'm 10 to maybe 12 
my 12, no, I'm probably 10 years into a career. I've worked with tons of people around the city. I know people. I figured if it doesn't work out, I'm sure I can find a job somewhere. Right. Like, you know, and so we'll be okay for a couple months. We'll see if this works. And if not, I think this was like mid-October. I was like, if by January nothing's working out, I'll go find a job. But I was fortunate in that I jumped out and people were like, oh, can you help me with this? Sure, I can help you with that. People, can you help me with this? The funny thing is, which is maybe an important life lesson, was... The two clients that paid me the most money were both businesses I used to work for. Yeah, well, because they because they know you and they know the work yep. that you can do, and, and and they and they probably knew that you were going to be happier working right. with them when you're outside of yeah. you know and the I, inside. Structure. It also wasn't I, I didn't go right back to companies that it, like the first one was I worked at this ADX studio and then I probably hadn't worked with them for years. But then coming back around, one of the things I've always tried to do is if I'm going to leave somewhere, leave really well. Not just yeah. two weeks' notice. Make yeah. sure you give them lots of lead time. You're accommodating. And even afterwards, after you're gone, how do you make sure, hey, do you guys need any help? Is everything going okay if you need to call me? Yeah. There'll be other people like, no, I'm giving my two weeks and I'm out. This is a small town. You do not burn bridges here if you can help it. And it's yeah. funny because when I went on my own, the first one that like floated me for a while was this company I first worked for. And then I was contracting for the group of automotive dealerships because like, hey, this is actually better because you get to stay in your element of strategic and the high-level stuff will take care of the minutia and, and it was another great those were my two most important clients that got me through the longest period of time were people that I worked for right so when you so you were doing mostly video stuff for no clients? I didn't what, know what anything did about video when I left okay so when what I left did, yeah. I was mostly what would I do I would do strategy social media strategies I would do some writing for people but a, a lot of it was just in tech projects, figuring stuff out, right. whatever it was. It could be all sorts. I have lots of, from doing IT and, and the agency world and social, and there was lots of different ones where it's like, hey, we need a social media strategy for the health region. Hey, we need right. you know help in getting this website up off the ground. Hey, we need help in writing for all these projects. So I was doing more so like that kind of work. And yeah. then it was literally we... We actually got into fostering, and I remember... You and your wife. Yeah, my wife yeah. and I, we got into fostering, and I wanted to buy a camera to take picture of kids, sure. you know, to, sure. to make memories, and I had a camera, I had it for a little while, and one day I looked, I'm like, these pictures are terrible, I need to figure out how to actually use a camera, and so I popped on YouTube, <laughs> and I was just like, camera tips yeah. and tricks, yeah. and I stumbled across this guy named Jared Polin, Frono's photo, he was a five foot eight Jewish guy from Philly with an afro, who seemed like a bit... <laughs> of a d-bag <laughs> sitting there on this director's chair in this loft apartment and i was like who is this guy but then i started listening and he was entertaining and fun and actually giving out some great advice and i crushed like 30 of his videos and ended up buying his guides i later found out he was a photographer photographing at an event where this guy gary vaynerchuk spoke at right. and he was listening to him while he was taking photos about the whole new world and the next day he started making videos he did like a thousand videos in a year or something crazy like that and launched this whole online persona and brand and and now does very well. And he was one of the guys that I found early on who was just giving out great practical advice yeah. on photography, but also taught me a little bit of the value of what you can do on the internet in the new world. Yeah. So when when did you get into uh, into video, like doing, doing the vlog stuff? So I would say probably... It was probably more like four years ago I got into photography. Yeah. So I went down the the rabbit hole of photography and started taking... I just kind of... And that can be a deep... Rabbit hole. Oh yeah, deep yeah. and expensive, but also yeah. cool. And I was yeah, I was doing photography, some photography for people, real estate photography, photography for content for people. Because the more you get into social, the more they need content. Yes. But yeah. then I was like, video was a thing, and it was like, and this was still four years ago. Video was not what it was today. It was still early, and typically you had to pay thousands of dollars for a video. Yeah. But there was kind of this new world of taking your photo cameras and making quality videos, and so this same guy Jared Poland went from his photography classes online to teaching video with some help from some other people so i went down the video rabbit hole and started getting into video and then that's where the vlog came shortly afterwards so probably four years ago was photography and then it was probably closer yeah probably five and a bit or sorry three and a bit years ago that i got into video and started the vlog you did a tweet a while back that i 
that I saw where it was something like the first the first video that you do will be terrible. Yes. And then the, but this and the second one will be yes. better than the first one and the third one will be better than the second and so on and so yep. on until you until you get good. Yeah. I remember the first vlog that I did. I again, I was reading this Gary V book. I was like, yeah. I just got a uh, my boosted board was on order, so I hopped on my skateboard, I went to the corner store and You're came back. You're still riding that that boosted board. Yeah, boosted board. board. Yeah, this is the second one now. Oh, so, okay. yeah. yeah. And I got back and I saw the vlog, and it was all out of focus. The background was in focus. My face was out of focus the whole time. It was shaky. I was out of breath. There was no story, and it was terrible. And I remember sitting at the computer, because I knew that it was terrible. It's not like I looked at it and thought, oh, I think that's... Like, there are people who are like, no, it's good. And it's like, no, it's not. I was sitting there going, this is awful. Like, this is embarrassing. And I'm sitting there, what do I do with this? I'm like, ah, I should just delete it. And I was like, you know what? So if, this so this is just you talking to... This is me talking, camera. yeah, my yeah. mental my mental process. I went, if I don't publish this one, I'm not going to make the next one. And if I don't make the next one, then I won't make one afterwards. And yeah. so I was yeah. like, I have to upload this, and I'm going to use this as an example someday to say, hey, this is how terrible it was when it started. Yeah. And so I clicked publish and it was bad and I knew it was bad, but I just had to leave it. But the second one was a lot better, like a lot better, still terrible, but a lot better. Well, I think, of yeah, I mean, that's, that's just part of, part of the creative, that's, you know, stream. everybody, it, it, yeah, like, for like everything, like comedians always talk about how, yeah. you know, if they taped one of their first sets that they ever did, they go back to it now after doing stand yes. comedy for yep. 15, 20 years. And they say it was horrible. Yeah. It was terrible. And just the years and the time and the work that you put in, yeah, you know, for the next number of yeah. years, it, you just get better because you, you're doing it more. And that's, yeah. I would say if you are wanting to do something new and you do it and it's terrible, you're on the right track. All like right. that is step one. Yeah. Like, and not to people, be people embarrassed. Don't, people don't like the disappointment sure. though. Eh? I know they don't, but those people, you will, if you are not okay with failing, you will never succeed. Yeah. There's just no, like, yeah. or your success will be so much slower than if you recognize, hey, the things I'm doing, they're going to be terrible. I'm going to do my worst critic. They're not going to be good. I'm going to pick on them. Just hit publish anyway. Right. If that's a blog, if that's photos, if that's videos, if whatever it is, just hit publish. Just just put it out there. And the thing is, is you may think, oh, everybody's going to think this is terrible. I'm going to lose so much. It's just part of the process and it's part of the journey. And people will actually respect the fact that you're doing something. Yeah, yeah. Because most people don't. Let's take a quick break to talk about Deliver.ca. Deliver.ca is the only service in Regina that lets you order your liquor, grocery, and takeout online. If you want liquor, you can order from Sobeys, uh, from Sobeys liquor stores. If you want groceries, you can order from Superstore. And if you want takeout, one of the best things in Regina, you can order from Italian Star Deli. You can order one of the great, one of the, those great Italian Star paninis. I prefer mine uh, medium double meat on the regular bread. And Deliver.ca will deliver that food to you all within 45 minutes. Listeners of the Talking 306 podcast can use code DALE to get their first order from deliver free that's code dale when you make your first order from deliver.ca things i wanted to ask you about was um I forget how long ago this was but you you took a break on so social media you sent out a tweet or an instagram maybe where you said something like my mental health is just not good and i'm i've been fully immersed in social media and you, and you took a break so and one of the things that i've talked to some of my guests about who are really involved in in social is just the effect that yep it has on mental health so um yeah i mean there's been a couple of places one was when i actually ended the vlog part of that honestly i remember i was in hawaii and i was still vlogging and this had been like seven months and it was so consuming and on the inside i was so anxious and in some ways addicted to social yeah. that i remember i was in hawaii sitting on the couch and just refreshing my YouTube notifications for more comments, more likes, more stuff for hits of dopamine because I was actually yes. depleted. And that's like, it's like, yeah. 
like crack cocaine or it's it's something where it doesn't satisfy it's so short term and you're just but you're feeling empty and so you're keep refreshing but that is the the wrong thing to do part of the reason why i stepped away from the vlog was on that vacation i came to the realization where i'm like oh no i'm in trouble and so that was part of like ending the vlog and taking a break from that and getting into building something different and new with facebook live that cost me all this time and a lot less energy and i kind of walked away from from that at at some point and then in this past fall I was so burnt out from creating videos, which right. I'd been making videos for a long time, and I loved it. But over time, it was too much, and I felt the pressure of, we need to make more videos, we need to make more videos. And I didn't realize that I actually went from the thing that I loved in the beginning of making videos. I hated and despised it, but I felt trapped because I needed to keep doing it, which I didn't. We, I eventually figured, I'm like, oh, I just need to hand this off to somebody else and get somebody else to do this. But I almost burned out yeah. in the like late summer. Earth, I was not a good person to my family and to Greg and to like I was I was because the pressure of all this is overwhelming and then you feel like I just got to keep grinding got to keep grinding yeah and so you know I mean some of that was breaks of like taking walks and getting outside and I had to like do some things and then yeah in the spring too like even now so I deleted all the social media off my phone for a little bit and went which is crazy because you think like isn't that what you do Uh, it was awesome yeah and it's not that I couldn't check it like I'd go on my computer but you're just not on it all the time yeah and that's important. So I did that for a little bit. And even now, I have no notifications for any of my social media. Yeah, on my I, don't, phone. I don't have it for Facebook. And, and any of the notifications that I do have when I go on there, it's just bullshit. Right. Like it's nothing. Yeah. And meaningful they're just like to they me. interrupt your life. And they, so yeah, yeah. it is trying to go, we, we need pushback in this world to go, hey, like, and it feels crazy because we actually had this conversation with Greg and I. And we said, if Jimmy Fallon tweets us and the reason that we don't get back to him and we miss out on the opportunity to go on The Tonight Show is because we were spending time with our family and we left our phone in the other room, right. neither one of us is going to be upset at the other person yeah. because it's a long-term play, not a short-term. And right. burning out now doesn't make sense. And social media can become so addictive. And especially like people... You, you maybe don't understand this. The dopamine high you get when a video is going nuts is oh. unlike anything else oh, I, I have ever yeah. felt. Of the idea of, like, rural Uber was like 2,000 shares an hour. Like, the com- like we're talking a quarter million shares yeah. and hundreds of thousands of comments. And you're just refreshing and it's going nuts. You're going, yeah. oh, we did this. This is amazing. And, and all these. Th- but at the end of the day, like, it's just short term. Yeah. It's it's. It, it's not it's a big high but then there's big lows too because you come off of that and so it is about just like letting it go and saying hey what happens what happens I put my inputs in and I'll let it do its thing but it's it's discipline for sure so uh, when and how did you meet Greg uh-huh. Moore? That's always funny because people think we are lifelong friends. So no, I know that you're not. So yeah. two and a, it'll be three years ago this summer. So mm-hmm. I was doing this vlog thing, and Snapchat was hot then, and I had the Snapchat <laughs> spectacles, the glasses that recorded, and it was oh, kind yeah. of creepy. And yeah, um, but part of the way I was growing the vlog was I was hacking attention in high schools because I would do Snapchat contests where I would drop these Snapchat filters. Only you could select geographically. And I just outline schools yeah. yep. and I would pit schools against each other and give prizes away for the ones that use the most filters of my vlog. And so I was that like, seemed, that seems like a pretty brilliant idea. Yeah. I probably stole it from Gary Vee. I'm not sure, but maybe, okay. you know, anyway, <laughs> I, I steal stuff from people and I forget who, who to credit for it, yeah. but you know, I just kind of bring it all together, but it was, it was a way that I was like, yeah, getting my way into high schools. And so a friend, Jeff Maystruck, who runs strategy lab was like, right. Hey, we want to do a right. video on Snapchat. Will you come talk about it? And so I was like, sure, I'll come talk. Well, I was there and I had heard of this guy online, Sir Greg Moore, his handle was, and, right. um, you know, he had a lot of Twitter followers and I actually <laughs> went to school with his wife for like a year maybe like in like grade seven or eight. I used to work with her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we had had some interactions online, Greg and I, but we'd never met in person and he walked in and I think I had this idea because I'd maybe seen some stuff online and he was a personality. He was fun. But when he walked in the door, he was so normal. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess this is Greg. But then as soon as the camera turned on, he was wild. Okay. This is something I I wanted to talk to you about and, and you got to it organically. So this is great. I think when people have watched you guys do your show, yep. seen your videos, uh, podcasts as well, that um, like to, to me, because I, I know Greg yep. and I know you a little bit and, and yep. I've talked to you off camera, there is, to me at least, there's quite clearly a 
performance yes. uh, Justin and Greg and then Justin and Greg who have wives and kids yeah. and you <laughs> which know, people are surprised by do, do other yeah. things so it's not just us this is everyone like we always see personalities on TV or whoever like man those guys are crazy it's like no they're just yeah it now there are people now, who are now, not themselves we are us like we're still us on camera we're just us with the dial cranked to 11 yeah the of, volume is up yeah the volume's up eccentric personalities we we try and key on things that are us and we just we just crank them up because it's yeah. entertaining and that's one of the things when you turn on a camera give it 150 percent energy to the point where you think you're being too over the top and you're still probably a little under where you need to be like you got to like where it's like Zzz, all right let's go and we're trying to like yeah, some people just can't fired up well and people watching are probably like yeah oh i don't know if i can watch this for too long <laughs> that's possible so <laughs> he walks in and the thing people know about greg greg's an introvert he yeah he i think you are time, too a little bit yeah it depends on the day. And when I was young, I was a massive extrovert. Now I'm like, yeah, I just don't. Yeah. I don't need people in the same way that I did. And I think some right. of that was maybe more insecurity. But yeah, I, and especially you burn a lot of energy being on yeah. all the time. And yeah. even like Greg is an introvert, but I'll tell you, he's also better at relationships than I am too. Like everybody loves Greg. And yeah. for me, I'm not as patient as he is, and I'm wired a little differently to get stuff done. Well, and, he likes to edit the podcast, and he's just like, get it up. Like, let's I, go here. Yeah, and yeah. I just like, I, I want to move quickly. And so sometimes, to my own detriment, I'm like, I just, I don't have time for for small talk right now. Yeah. I'm like, because I have stuff that my brain won't let me rest until I get done so I'm going to go do them whereas right. he is definitely better on the relational side and so that is something and especially for me I'm a zone I'll call myself a zone player I get myself in trouble all the time this happened once um, I won't I won't mention who but if you're listening again I'm so sorry I was at an event and we were I was capturing content for it and I was going up it was at Mosaic and the stadium and I went up and I was going to take this photo that I needed to get this photo. And it was later where I got this tweet from somebody saying, hey, you know, Justin Rivas, total D-bag, gave me a massive blow off, tried talking to him, he completely ignored me. Oh. I don't even remember you were, you were in the him zone. there. I was in the zone. And yeah. this happens to, we'll be emceeing events or we'll be doing things. And all I'm thinking about while I'm emceeing an event is what's coming up next? How do I deliver for the audience? I'm being hired to be here to be an MC. Yeah. I want to deliver these jokes. I need to make sure the program goes well. I've got all these things going on. And then in the process, sometimes I forget about that there's people there trying to talk to me. And I think I come across like I'm trying to blow them off. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to do my job. Yeah. But if you've never been there, you don't really understand. Like I have this massive weight on my shoulder but I'm in the zone and so yeah. it's something if you if you know me and I'm I I'm short with you it has nothing to do with you nothing I'm in the zone on something that's what happens right. and so okay so yeah. so Greg comes in yeah Greg walks when, in when you meet camera him. turns on and he's just like Zzz, and he's fun and he's wild and he's egregious and I'm like this guy is awesome and the backstory is I'd been doing vlogging but vlogging was five nights a week for me editing for four or five hours plus an hour or two of shooting during the day I've got a wife I've got three kids yeah it's a ton of work right and it's costing me um a lot and so i'm like i need to find something that is less work because you know it's an extra 30 or 40 hours a week of just work to get it out there which i'm proud i made it through that yeah. far yeah. and now pretty much everybody's burning out of the daily vlogging thing and that genre is dying because it's just too much but yeah. for a season it's it's a cool thing to do and i've been thinking about doing a facebook live show the cool thing about live is you start your live when you're done your live it's done and it's published there's no editing it's just it's done and I'd figured out how to take my good quality cameras and hook them up to Facebook Live because right, at that time, right. everybody had just phones and they were shaky and it was terrible yeah. and the audio yeah. quality, everything about it was terrible. And I'd yeah. figured out how to do quality. So I was like, if I could do a Facebook Live show that was fun somehow, but I wanted a co-host and I hadn't met anybody yet. And as soon as I saw Greg right there, I was like, we need to go for coffee. Uh -huh. And so we went for coffee once, I think lunch once, and then... The third time, so it's probably been the fourth time we met, I said, do you want to start a Facebook Live show? I think I was over at his house. And I was like, do you want to start a Facebook Live show? He's like, well, what do we talk about? I don't know. We'll just find interesting things. We'll just talk about it. And he's like, uh, sure. Like, when when are you thinking? Thinking, I'm like, how about Tuesday? Let's go Tuesday. Because like, moving quickly. And this is probably yeah. on like a Sunday. He was probably thinking like, oh, like in a couple, exactly. couple weeks exactly. or well, months We'll or do now. some planning. No, 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 Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. So... He's like, okay. So Tuesday rolled around. All I did was set up a black background. I had a desk and we had cue cards where we had topics and we would just grab a cue card and talk about it. And for some reason, 
I think it was terrible. And people afterwards were like, you need some structure. But still, they're like, you guys have a chemistry. It works. And so week two came around of that. And I was like, you know what? I should ask Greg to quit his job and come join me because I've been doing kind of the consulting marketing yeah. stuff. Greg was working at an ad agency and right. I liked him and it was fun. And yeah. I just, I don't know. I just had this feeling like we should do something together. The weird thing is before the second show, he says to his wife, Justin's going to ask me to quit my job tonight and I'm going to say yes. His wife's pregnant with her first child. Yeah. Or maybe she was on mat leave. I think, mm, no, I think they're yeah, no, I think, yeah, they just had the first child. She was on mat leave. So I'm like, you should quit your job. And he said, okay. After we'd met five times in life total. He and, did it. And he did it. He quit his job and joined with a stranger. And so and then, so you guys, you did your Justin Greg thing, which, which I know kind of evolved into more of a, yeah. of, of a it thing. It started off but, being a Facebook live show, but yeah, it became but, a lot more. But you also had Pigeons Social, right? Yeah, which, so which, Pigeon Social is the company that we ended up starting, which yeah. was... This idea of there's a lot of people out there and even agencies that are trying to consult people on social media. The problem is social media moves so fast that it requires so much time to actually stay up with what's going on. And a part of the reason that I did the vlog was because I wanted to practice what I preach because there are social media experts out there, I'm air quoting, who have read two books and now they're an expert on how social works. Right. Meanwhile, they've never really done anything right. or maybe they did something once, but that was two years ago and the world has changed so much that part of it was that's how I could eat, sleep, and breathe social media. And so yeah. Pigeon was an extension of that was it was a consulting company on the new world because Greg also loves content and social where Justin and Greg gave us an avenue to practice what we preach because we were living it day in and day out on Facebook Live and eventually on Instagram and on YouTube and on Twitter and on you know all these different platforms yeah. all the time eat, sleep, breathing. And so what's crazy is I remember when we started that business and the idea of who within 12 months we'd be working with. Like, I remember the first time when we got a check from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, we almost framed it because we said, how insane is this that yeah. we get to work with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Yeah. And then, you know, over the course of time, the, the list of people that we were able to work with in a short period of time, but it was because we were living it day in and day out and people were going, no, you guys actually know what you're talking about. And and we did, not that we're experts. I will never say that I'm an expert because it moves too fast. Yeah. But we had a pretty good handle on it because we'd spend half of our time every week actually playing in social without making a dollar off of it right um i saw the clip of you sitting next to derek robinson at the at the better business bureau yes. thing the other week where and it's derek talking about how people say to him and i'm sure that they say to you as well and to greg that that social media is dying and derek responds by saying are you kidding people are addicted to this yep. they're like cigarettes basically but you guys were you were figuring it out so yeah. so okay so you guys you moved you did the um the facebook live you rolled out the podcast eventually yeah facebook live podcast we were doing like vlogs quick hit like yeah. comedy videos right and, and then so tell me a bit about just kind of really quickly about the process for how you guys, because some of your, I would say, most famous videos like like Uber mm -hmm. and like the Jimmy Fallon thing, yeah. uh, the Moose, uh, sure. the Moose Job Moose, of course, which totally blew up. Where, how do you guys land on doing those things? I'm assuming it's just something that pops into your head and both of you go, yeah, let's do it. That's exactly. And then, and then you just shoot it. Yeah, and you you, put you it would think there's some magic. Like, let's say, so the biggest story in the history of Justin and Greg, this international moose war that was in the New York Times, yeah. the Washington Post, Stephen Colbert makes fun of it, South China Morning Post. We're on the largest broadcast in the world, BBC World Service to 90 million people, right. like everywhere. Yeah. And for weeks. Weeks. Like not a day, yeah, not two it went days, on for, a, for a weeks while. to yeah. the point where our reporter friends are saying, can you please kill this? Because we are so sick of covering this story. The biggest <laughs> thing. Yeah. The way that story goes is it's January 11th. It's my birthday in the morning. I'm on the phone with a friend and we're just chatting about random stuff. And Moose Jaw came up because he was doing something to Moose Jaw at some point. And we had f somehow found out, you know, Greg had looked up a blog the day before and it said that Moose Jaw had gotten, they'd lost their title for the world's tallest moose. Norway had built one a foot taller. Just like a random thing we saw the day before. We're on the phone, we're talking about Moose Jaw and just out, out pops out of my mouth, which is I'm an external processor. I said, how funny would it be if we went to a, a Moose Jaw and made a video calling out the mayor 
that this can't stand and it's egregious. It just came up in the conversation. Hang up the phone. I'm like, Greg, let's go to Moose Jaw. Yeah. And we had we had to deliver something for the radio station. So I think we like, hey, we got to do this first. So we record that for half an hour. We get in the car, grab my camera, we just drive out to Moose Jaw. We go stand in front of the moose. We record this video. We're driving back. Greg's driving. I'm editing on my laptop, just putting the video together. Cool. So we, we're driving back. We have a meeting with somebody. So while we're we have five minutes before the meeting, I click upload on Facebook, and I try and write a description. We have this meeting. At the end of the meeting, I go and I hit publish. And no, I had to do captions, did captions, yep. and I click publish. Yep. Yep. Um, and we went into another meeting. And we're in the meeting, and, and I close my laptop. Oh. I open it up, and I go, "Oh, this thing has legs!" Yeah, like, and it was it was going like not crazy, like not like rural Uber did 11 million views. The pace yeah, of yeah, that yeah. was at a yeah. different level, yeah, but yeah, still, yeah. I'm like, people like this. So over the course of the weekend, that was on a Friday. Over the course of the weekend, 250 thousand views, awesome. We're like that. That was a great video. Yeah. Good job. We think we're done. Until on Monday, we get a note saying, "Hey, the mayor's going to record a video in response, saying, hey, 'Hey, we're going for it.'" I'm like, "Oh, that's awesome. That'll do something.'" But yeah. then I get this email from a reporter at the Daily Mail, who's in oh, yeah. LA, yeah. and says, "Hey, I saw your moose video." And I'm like, "How did you see the moose video?" But that's how small the internet is. <laughs> He's like, "Can we can we have a call and talk about it?" Sure. So yeah. he called to talk about it. The funny thing is, Daily Mail never ran a story on it. But when he hung up, he called the Norwegians to get their take on it. They didn't know that this was happening, and they start a thing where they made a response video on our mayor and then the rest is kind of history but it's just that's our process for pretty much any video is we just have an idea hey are you excited about this yeah i'm at least medium excited about it one of us has to be really excited about it we just go make the video right so how do you guys go from getting attention from bbc and new york times and a whole bunch of other like you one of your was it the biggest video that you guys had done that in terms of reach or views no i mean rural uber still way more like that video i yeah. think ended up at i don't know maybe hundreds of thousands Can, not millions let's but let's call it that there, there was a lot of attention and absolutely it, it, it's the biggest story in the history of justin greg for sure. sure so how that was just a couple of months ago so how do you guys go from that to just uh well it's this week i guess early this week when this comes out it'll be last week uh to announcing that you and Justin are at least going on hiatus, or you kind of called it a, a detox. How do you like that? It seems like that moved quick. Yeah, I think people don't understand that. You know, like making money off of videos on the internet is not like not really a thing unless you're like crazy levels. And also, going viral doesn't change your life anymore. I think there was a time in the yeah. past where that could really change your life. But yeah. We've had lots of viral hits, but all of our biggest stories have never come with money attached to them and that's part of why they've been such big stories whether mm -hmm. it's Saskatchewan adopting the Vegas Golden Knights or a rural Uber or you know there's times where people have offered to sponsor things and backed out of them and those have been our best stories where we chase them anyway but we do them because we love them and we care about them and when we do monetize them like the moose story if it had been you know us in front of the moose and the video would have started out like a lot of videos start out which this video is sponsored by Squarespace you know and then go into it the media sure. is not going to cover that that's not going to go anywhere but why uh, i get the organic video um stuff that that you guys do but why not get because like the the video production was it was one pocket for you guys in terms of content that you do you sure. also did your live show mm -hmm. where you went to facebook just to, like yep. facebook headquarters just a couple weeks ago right yep. and then you did your podcast and i when, when you guys announced it earlier this week, I'm thinking, okay, I, I understand not getting sponsors for the, for the videos that you do, but why not getting sponsors for your Facebook live show and your podcast? I think, I mean, and yeah, that's a great understanding question. that it's not, that's not everything of course, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, for us, you know, let's say those two two properties, we never found anybody that realistically was going to give us $25,000 a month or a combination of companies because yeah. that's the number. Like between people don't understand, like flying to Vegas all the time and chasing these stories or when we flew to New York to go to Jimmy Fallon. Like, yeah, they cost like, money. Hey? They, they cost money. And we also have families and need to get paid. And, and then too, with the speed we're moving at, we're also hiring video people to help us in creating these stories and yeah. shooting and editing some of yeah. them that, you know, that's a big number and we have always refused to work with companies that we don't personally know and believe in and can recommend and that 
can potentially because there's been people who've come and tried to offer us money yeah. and we say we don't know you and yet could we could we sell their product and go hey well like we could but at the end of the day that's a short-term play because i don't want to sell somebody something and then find out oh they don't actually provide good customer service and i convince you to buy this thing and it's not a good product or a service and now like i'm not interested in that and so you know i think the more like now we're now we're like almost two weeks away from having gone what we came to the realization was everybody always asked us how do you guys monetize like that's mm-hmm. always the first question anytime we're speaking anywhere or doing anything we want to, how do you make money and we came to this realization two weeks ago we don't Right. That's why it works because we don't make money off sure. of it. And there's actually bigger lessons there for businesses when it comes to social yeah. where they're always trying to figure out how to make money off their social. And and the real thing they should be going is how do I make an impact and tell stories and, and do stuff for people that really matters because long term that will pay off massive and have massive reach. But when we came to our realization, oh, we don't make money off this. That's why it works. We went, oh, we need to go find a way to make money. And so, you know. I don't know what that means for Justin and Greg. I think now, even today, we're like, no, we don't need we don't need to kill this, which I think we were thinking maybe 10 goes, not even kill it. We were going to just put it on pause and not do anything with it. Now it's just, we get to be really focused on going, we're only going to chase stories that we really care about and believe in, right. and we're going to go find a way to get paid in some other way. And so right. whether, we haven't even figured out what that means, but we learned a ton over the last couple of years and having these kind of connections and yeah, having... It's neat for us to go. Two and a half years ago, we started a Facebook Live show on a whim in our basement with two strangers. And three yeah. weeks ago, Facebook flew us down as a part of a brainstorm for the future of Facebook Live. Like, right. that's cool yeah. from yeah. here in Regina, Saskatchewan. And to go, oh, we're on to something. You know, we're figuring things out and going, hey, we've got multiple viral videos and have done all these things that, you know, there's actually an excitement now where we go, how can we help? cool local companies, not even local, national, international, we don't, you know, everybody, to go, here's what we've learned, how can, you know, we help people grow, and I think there's a ton of value in that, so we're going to try and, you know, figure that out, and whether that means working for a company, or contracting, or consulting, or, we don't know, like right now. So are you guys going to, like, maybe not not doing all the Justin Greg show stuff, yeah. but are you are you guys going to be business partners or are you guys going your separate ways? Uh, we don't actually know at this oh, okay. point. Yeah. I think as we when we started the business, we were essentially strangers. Like yeah, strangers. Yeah, and I think now after a couple of years, we have a much better sense of where each other's skill set lies. And there are often times where we go, both of us don't need to be in the room here consulting with this person. Like we both. No, like, why are you going to pay for two people to be in the room to tell you the same thing? So you have that kind of overlap where right. we could build a business together, but we would be, almost be building it separate. It's like, let's just get more clients and split up our time, mm-hmm. you know, which, I mean, you could do yeah. that, but, and we, we could do that. But then there's also things where, I mean, like hard skills wise, like I'm the, I'm the video tech guy and that's, that's not really Greg's, whereas yeah. Greg's, Greg's skills are, he's one of the quickest people I've ever seen on his feet for right. a performer and jokes and all that yeah. kind of stuff where it's almost like he would, he would, he would be good at it. At improv. I oh, think. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he is he is a personality. And so it just kind of depends on where can we use our skill sets and fit in. And if it made sense for us to be partners on it, great. And if not, like, we're people, people have been asking us when the video came out. I'm like, hey, I think we're going to put pause on this. People are like, are you guys okay? Yeah. And it's like, no, like, are you yeah. guys still friends? And it's like, we're not friends. We're brothers. Like, that's what yeah. people are always like. You guys are act like brothers, which is we annoy the heck out of each other sometimes. But we're also <laughs> like in it for life, have each other's backs. And well, well, when I saw you guys here on, uh, it was mon- m- Monday, I guess. Or was that Monday this past week? Yeah, I think so, Monday. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you guys were just sitting there just like chilling. Yeah, just hanging out. <laughs> and then... <laughs> What? Yeah, maybe it was you that posted the video. Like, oh, everyone's asking, are, are you guys like angry at each other? And like, <laughs> why? People, yeah. people can just you know move on and do but, different yeah. things. And it's one of those things where we, pr- yeah, we're we're not going to be doing Justin and Greg full time. Yeah. Now, and we're going to sink our teeth into some other things. But I think there will still be moments, and we never know because things like the Jimmy Fallon story was—we have no control over that. But Jimmy Fallon makes fun of Experience Regina. All right, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. You know, something yeah. could happen in the world that we just jump on it because we get excited about. So, did it. you guys end up meeting him? Because you, you gone into yeah. the studio and mm-hmm. you were on the floor. Yeah. Like you were on on his mark where yeah. he, where he does his monologue. But did you ever? Totally he was connect he was with- off that day. Oh. So what happened was. 
We flew there, I think, Wednesday, and then Thursday we were trying to get tickets to the show. Yeah. And through a series of unfortunate events, it just, like, didn't work out, didn't work out. And then our plan was Friday morning we were going to line up at, like, 3 a.m. to get standby tickets. Right. Until a guy from Vegas, from our whole Vegas Golden Knights story, messaged us and says, guys, I screwed up. I could have got you tickets for today, which was Thursday. And we said, hey, no problem. We're going to line up tomorrow morning. He's like, no, you don't understand. They film two shows on Thursday. Right. They don't do anything on Friday. Oh, yeah. And Saturday, we were leaving to go to Buffalo when we were actually collaborating on a video with the Krugo, yep. cool local yep. Apple company. And so yep. we had to go to Buffalo. We didn't We didn't have a choice. So we're like, we're screwed. But he's like, just a sack. And he's like, he served in Afghanistan with a crew member on The Tonight Show and called in a favor with his buddy to give us the private tour, which is wild. And now right. this guy's like, he's a friend of ours. We message all the time now. And a good New York guy and kind of connected. And so we didn't end up meeting Jimmy Fallon. We sent 25 Experience Regina t-shirts that cast and crew have down there. And who knows? I'm like, that story isn't done yet. I don't know what it looks like, but like we'll see. It feels like there could be something else coming yeah. on that one. Yeah. I don't know. But we do know they actually talked about coming to Regina. The show considered it it was like it's very expensive for them to bring like 60 crew members yeah. anywhere and yeah. i think budget wise it didn't didn't work out but they were they were seriously considering it and that's cool yeah well we're both loud talkers yes uh sorry i for see any, you keep adjusting the volume i'm like yeah i'm probably getting excited i think it was all right okay. but um no thank, thanks for coming and talking to me and yeah i think i think people will be interested to see what what you have coming up next and maybe they won't see you for a while but you'll be working behind the scenes I'm sure, with people i'm sure they will regardless i don't think either greg or i mean myself it's not like get your career from, is done you're no. like what, and we 30, still love 31? we still love content and even yesterday I, you know i was posting a video about i'm buying a porsche People need to know that's a clickbait title to get people to go. It'll be in a, <laughs> a few years. But the idea behind yeah. it, and even this last year, where I would say this last year has been the hardest year of both of our lives because you have families, you're not really making money, but you're chasing these stories and you're trying to figure everything out. And there's something people understand the stress of you waking up in the morning going, my job today is to make worldwide headlines. How do I do that? Because it's really impossible. It's, it's, it's trying things and hoping you get lucky and all sorts of yeah. things. But the last year has been the absolute best learning experience of my life and the growth experience. And so, you know, if people are listening to this, I would say, putting yourself massively outside of your comfort zone and not always worrying short-term about money, it's amazing the stuff that you can learn and the growth and the connections if you just do it for the right reasons. And so even now, like I'm I'm starting this whole new series online, me personally, of my journey to buying a Porsche, which is so much less about the Porsche, but more about this idea of just going for something that seems impractical. It's impractical for a yeah. dad of three kids to buy a Porsche. That makes no sense. I think you will be joining most other men who want to do this. Yes. But part of it is going, we actually need impractical dreams in our life and make emotional things. Because oftentimes, you know, what would the safe thing be? Okay, you go to high school, you go to university, you get a degree in something, and you get the Sastel job, and you work there for 45 years, and you retire. Yeah. I don't fault anybody who does that. But... There's something about risking more that and, and the dreams and the things where we were NHL media this year. The CEO of Uber watched our video that worldwide yeah. headlines were written about this. We did the intro for the game five of the Stanley Cup final in Vegas. Why? Because we took massive risks yeah. and it was impractical. It was impractical of us to do Justin and Greg. It's impractical of me to buy a Porsche. And it's the it's the journey for me of actually documenting all the lessons we learned with Justin and Greg and applying it to this journey of going to buy a Porsche which is going to take some time, but, you know, going to get there. So content, people still see lots of content from us. And Justin and Greg, I know, it'd probably be end of next week where we're like, hey, we're itching to be Justin and Greg again. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's in our DNA. I don't know what it looks like, but The we'll hat's going to go back on exactly. to Justin. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, thanks. Thanks the, for talking to me. The tennis the, band will live forever. Oh, yeah. The tennis band. Yeah. yeah. I've... I've <laughs> yeah, I have thoughts about Greg's tennis band, sure. but I'm As sure many, many, people, many do. people do. That's why it works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. Thanks chatting to me, man. That's it for this episode of the Talking 306 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Talking 306 podcast on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a follow on social media as well. Talking 306 is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Theme music for the Talking 306 podcast is by Saskatoon artist Maybe Smith with a song that I think is very fitting for Saskatchewan called You Would Never Survive the Winters in This Province. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time.